You travel to Belgrade, your ancestral homeland in the heart of the Balkans. Though you seek to learn more about the region, you're fairly convinced that you know the basics of your background. But once you arrive, you find out that the more you learn, the less you know. It turns out that your family identity, just like the region, is more complicated than it appears. You're listening to 2233, a podcast of exchange stories. Now, a lot of the times when I'm working on assignments, I don't have as much time as I did during that fellowship, obviously. Um, but I still try to meet people as human first, always. A lot of photographers don't behave that way because they feel the pressure of the industry and this pressure to get the work done. And that's totally understandable. But I actually think that the work is so much better when you meet people in just a human way first, like really people to people. Not that I was some monster before who didn't <laughs> view people's humanity, but I do think that since doing that fellowship in terms of my work, I really was able to like solidify that idea of just being a human with people and not being a, someone with a camera first or having this sort of apparatus between us, separating us or distancing us. It was just a tool that let me get closer in the end. So it changed my photography in that way, I think. This week, a family history full of surprises, respecting everyone's story, and learning that anywhere in the world, teenage girls are teenage girls. Join us on a journey from the United States to the Balkans to discover just how fragile one's identity can be. It's 2233. We report what happens in the United States, warts and all. These exchanges shaped who I am. When you get to know these people, they're not quite like you. You read about them. They are people very much like ourselves. And oh, that's what we call cultural exchange. Ooh, yes. I'm Christiana Bodich. I am a documentary photographer and filmmaker. I am a Fulbright National Geographic storytelling fellow. Um, I did my fellowship in the 2016-2017 year, and I was in Serbia and Croatia for that fellowship. I initially proposed to go to Serbia and Croatia to look at the relationship between migration, geography, and identity. At the time, there was the refugee crisis was moving through Serbia, and a lot of migrants and refugees were getting trapped in Serbia because they couldn't cross over into the EU. And so I wanted to look at that crisis, but through the lens of thinking about this landscape that was once one country, but had been broken apart by civil war. So looking at this place that was once Yugoslavia, once one giant country, had been broken apart by civil war, was now full of all of these different borders, separated mostly based on you know national and ethnic identity, and then looking at the movement of refugees through that. So that's sort of what I initially went to Serbia with. That was my project that I proposed. Um, but in doing that, in looking at the relationship between identity and geography and looking at the refugee crisis, I ended up looking a lot at my own family history. And my father was born and raised in Yugoslavia at the time. He left in 1979. And all of his family was still there. 
And all the family that I knew was there was in Serbia, in Belgrade and Valjevo, which is a town about an hour and a half from Belgrade. My grandmother was there and my dad's cousins and aunts and uncles were all in that region. And as far as I knew, we were Serbian. That's all I'd ever been told. Grew up going to a Serbian Orthodox church that was had visited Serbia a lot. That was basically what I knew. But in spending time with my grandmother and in learning the Serbian language, which I hadn't known until a few years ago, I was able to discover a lot about our family history. And one of the things I found out was that my grandmother's family was actually from a town about an hour from Dubrovnik, which is now in modern-day Croatia. And my grandfather's family was from split Croatia in the Dalmatia region. And so I ended up doing the project in Serbia and Croatia so that I could look at, you know, refugee movement, look at all these concepts of identity, but also look at my own family history. And I was trying to pull in, you know, I was thinking about all these big concepts and trying to pull them all together. And I think... Ultimately, what ended up happening was that I really dug into my family history and tried to figure out where everyone was from and how far back I could go and figure out sort of what it meant to be Serbian or identify as Serbian if my family was from areas that were outside of Serbia's modern-day borders. So what does that really mean then? Is it religious? Is it just about where they live now? Is it something entirely different? Unfortunately, while I was In Serbia, my grandmother passed away. And before she passed away, her dementia had gotten very bad. So I also couldn't ask her the questions that I had planned on asking her about our family history. So I sort of had to set out on my own and, and figure out what I could about our family just from the little information I had from before she passed away and from extended family. And all of that research and all those conversations led me through Croatia to Split, where my grandfather was born and where his family was from, and took me down to Montenegro, where my grandmother's father's family was from, and then inland into Bosnia and Herzegovina, where the Sharenats family, which is another part of my grandmother's family, was from. And through all of this crazy traveling and moving around and research, I ended up in a very small village about two hours from Trebinje, Herzegovina, where my grandmother's cousin lived. And I ended up in this small little stone house in a village surround. It wasn't even, I can't even describe it as a village. They were actually just sort of out on a mountain far from the nearest village uh, in an area surrounded by rocks. There was nothing there but rocks. And people told me before I went that there was nothing there but rocks. And I thought they were exaggerating, but it's absolutely true. I ended up sitting down and having a coffee with my grandmother's cousin. And this was a woman who I didn't know existed before. And I was sitting with her having a coffee in her home. And it was the home where my grandmother's father was born. So it was a home that was hundreds of years old. And I think I just could have never imagined that my journey would have taken me that far. And it was... It was pretty incredible, and I think it was special for me in terms of just thinking about my own family and my own sense of memory and stories about my family, but it was also really important 
to the way that I was looking at identity because I was finally able to really reflect on my own identity and realize that nothing is as simple as we say it is. So a lot of times we'll say just I'm American or I'm half Serbian, half Italian, or, you know, my dad was born in Belgrade. He's Serbian. We're Serbian Orthodox, you know, and I don't consider, I never spent that much time considering where all of those people and like threads and stories really came from. And the reality is my family could have been Catholic Croat from Split and marriage could have changed the way that we identify or a move could have changed the way that they identify. And I think just that whole journey and going around all of former Yugoslavia and crossing all of those borders and meeting with members of my family I didn't know existed before just made me realize how complex identity is and how complex families are. And I think that reflecting on that is the first step in being able to break down that barrier between us and them. That's a problem, I mean, we're facing a lot in America now, and I think it's definitely been a problem in former Yugoslav countries, you know, leading up to, during, and after the Civil War, certainly. And I think that when people are really honest with themselves about how complicated identity truly is and how little we even know about our own identities, then we're really able to start to break down those barriers and think about ourselves and others differently. One of the things I discovered while I was there was that there are just a lot of different ethnic groups living there. I think when people talk about Serbia, for the most part, they just talk about Serbian people. And actually what I found was that, for example, in the northern region of Vojvodina, there are 26 different ethnic groups living there. Um, it's a really diverse place, actually. During my time there, I had the chance to visit the south of Serbia, a town called Bojanovac. And this was a really special place for me. And my time there really has impacted me as a person and my work as a documentarian. So it was Early spring of 2017 when I went to Boyanovac and I went there for the first time with a friend uh, who had spent some time there before. So she just told me like, oh, it's, it's just an interesting place. It's the most ethnically split city in the south of Serbia between Serbs and Albanians. And so I think a lot of people internationally know about the Kosovo War that happened in the late 90s and ended in 99, but actually there was also an armed conflict in this region in the south of Serbia in 2001. And the sort of three areas along the border with Kosovo didn't end up splitting off from Serbia. So they're still a part of Serbia and that's something that is being contended with still um, and people are still navigating because it was less than 20 years ago.
I sort of went to this town of Boyanovats thinking about these ethnic divisions and how I was going to talk to people and figure out how they were either healing or how the ethnic tensions were affecting them in their daily lives nowadays. And I sort of went with that intention, just thinking all about the ethnic divisions. And I ended up speaking with five young women who came from different ethnic groups. There were two Serbs, two Albanians, and one Roma. And they were all teenage girls. And I was really surprised to find that the things that they were dealing with and the issues they were facing, they all just had these similar conflicts that they were going through. And it didn't really have anything to do with their ethnicity. It had to do with being a teenager and a teenage girl in particular. And I think that was an amazing experience for me because I was sort of brought face to face with my own concepts of entering a place that I hadn't been before and thinking that I knew something about it because I had some Albanian friends and I'd lived in Serbia before and I knew the region and just really being confronted with my own shortcomings and my own prejudices. For me, that was a really amazing experience to sit down with these young women, talk to them about their daily lives, see that although the ethnic divisions and tensions in that area were real and alive in some ways, that these were also just young people who were coming of age and thinking about who they are, who they want to be, how they want to see their community how they want to move forward in the world, like their own dreams, their own hopes. And I think that they were just so much more connected than I realized. I thought that they were going to be sort of maybe uncomfortable around each other or that they would have a lot of problems that they wanted to discuss in terms of their ethnicity. And really that wasn't on their minds, not at the forefront of their minds in the way it was on the forefront of mine. So I basically spent the day with these five young women, and we went around to all of their houses. All of their families treated each of them and me in the same way, super welcoming, super lovely. I just, I feel like it really reshaped the way that I was thinking about ethnicity and diversity in the country, and also the way that I approach projects, because I think it's so easy to do a ton of research or spend time somewhere nearby and think that you understand a place or its people, and that's just really not true. You just have to sit down with people and actually hear their stories firsthand to see what's, what's really going on. I wish I would have had more time there. What I was able to capture in the few short days that I was there um, was just sort of a glimpse into the lives of these young women. And I got to understand a little bit about what they're going through on a daily basis and how in some ways it's very similar to what I went through as a young woman. And in other ways, it's very different and very specific to them. Um, for example, the young Roma woman who I interviewed, she was, she sort of stood out to me because um, a lot of people from the Roma community are really looked down upon in Serbia, and uh, a lot of them don't have 
academic opportunities afforded to them. And she was a special case because her family actually has a nonprofit in the south of Serbia that is meant to empower Roma people and encourages their education. So for her family, it was really important that she was in school and she actually uh, plans to be a doctor. So she was preparing at that point, she was in her last year of high school, so she was preparing to go on and applying to medical schools. Um, and even though she had her mother tongue that she spoke at home, she also spoke fluent Serbian and took all of her classes at the Serbian language high school. So speaking to her about her experiences there was really interesting to me as well because, again, I went in expecting to talk about this, uh, the tension between Albanian and Serbian youth, and that turned out differently. But also there was this girl, Isabella, who was Roma, who was showing me a completely different perspective from the same small town that has, you know, coming up in the same area. And, and her story is kind of covered up because people just talk about the ethnic divisions between Albanians and Serbs. People aren't really talking about the Roma community there and what they've been through. And people also aren't really sharing and elevating stories of Roma individuals or families who are stretching themselves and achieving academic excellence or professional excellence and who are striving for things like medical school. And I think that, again, I was just so impressed with her willingness to talk and openness in talking about her experiences, uh, negative and positive. And she's overcome a lot. I mean, she, in school, she talked about having teachers call her dirty and saying derogatory things to her because she was Roma. And she was the only Roma student in her entire school. So for her to sort of face that adversity and come up in that community and to be going on to pursue medical school or whatever she wants to pursue in life. I mean, that was kind of incredible because I just, again, I wasn't really anticipating finding that that nuance. I think when something turns out differently than you expect as a photojournalist, you have to be able to adapt. I feel like that's a huge part of the profession. I think it's always a good thing when I'm surprised and confronted with a new situation that I wasn't expecting. I think that in that particular situation, I just was really thankful that those young women were so open with me and so honest with me and that they really drove the conversation. And at first, you know, I thought because I was interviewing them, I was photographing them, you sort of feel like oh, I'm going to be in control of this situation, you know, I'm going to guide it. And that's really not true. And it's really not good if that is the case, because then you're the one telling the stories and it's not them telling their stories through you. So I think that being met with that was a really good moment for me to sort of step back and be like, how am I telling stories? How can I do a better job of elevating other people's voices rather than having these sort of preconceived notions and guiding my stories to look a particular way? And I think that's why there's so much misinformation out there because people don't just let individuals or communities really speak for themselves and people don't give them a platform. It's more our commentary on that particular group or those people. Um, I think I was most proud in letting these women speak for themselves. I get into this place sometimes where I am trying to control the work and trying to 
anticipate things before they happen because I think to some extent you have to do that when you're traveling and when you're working abroad and when you're put into situations where, you know, like I was alone going to this new place um, and telling a story in a community that I hadn't spent much time in before. Again, I was just really amazed by their openness with me. I think when I was young, I would not have talked to <laughs> someone from another country who was coming in and just said, I'm interested in hearing from, you know, some people in this community what their daily life is like. And not only did they talk to me about those experiences, they brought me to their homes, introduced me to their families, uh, introduced me to their friends. They took me to their schools, to their churches, to all of these places that were special for them and, and told me about their lives. And I just think the best thing that I can do as a photographer and as a storyteller is just to elevate the stories of people who otherwise would their stories wouldn't be told. So to get the opportunity to work with these young people who really aren't represented very much in mainstream media and to work with, for example, the young Roma woman whose story wouldn't have been told in a story about ethnic tension in this town, I think for me that was what I was most proud of. I'm really interested in in-depth documentary storytelling more than I am interested in news photography. Though I do both, I think it just feels so much better to really spend time with a subject and feel like you're doing justice to their truth and their nuances and their complexity in a way that's really hard to do when you just have a day. when people think about traveling, they consider the discomfort of being in a new culture where there's language they can't speak or people they don't know. Um, but I think really that fear is about confronting our own shortcomings a lot of the time and like, how am I going to be able to navigate this? And I think it's a really amazing thing to be constantly coming up against these obstacles, physical, emotional, mental when traveling that you have to navigate and work through. That's transformative for me, no matter where I'm traveling to, but the fellowship that I did, this Fulbright Nat Geo Fellowship in particular was transformative in so many ways, not just in how I view myself and my own family history, but also in how I, how I work and the way that I approach subjects and subject matters um, for all the reasons I've discussed, I think, I just softened a lot during that time and tried to stop, to let go of that control I felt I needed to have over my projects. And really, once I was able to do that, everything got so much better because then it was just like a human meeting a human. I wasn't coming in with my camera and feeling like, okay, I have to capture this in this amount of time. I, I really was just meeting people where they were, listening to them being there to honor their stories. And that felt really true and authentic, not just like something you say, but it felt like that was my experience there, it was just meeting people where they were, listening to them, really hearing them, and being able to honor and elevate their stories through photography and writing and sharing that stuff on the Nat Geo blog. 
think what's special about the Nat Geo Fulbright is that when we come back from these fellowships, we get to share our stories. And I got to present some of my work at this Nat Geo Live event. For me, I felt like I was able to give at least a piece of my experience to people back home and to my family. But there was a moment when I stepped off after coming to, so the first time I went to Boyanovats, I was with a friend and just sort of introduced to the area. I didn't bring a camera, I didn't do anything. I just wanted to get a feel for the place. And the next time I went on my own, it's like a seven hour bus ride. And then you're sort of dropped off in this small town. It's, um, I believe it's like 10,000 people. Once you get over those first initial things, you realize just how, just how similar it is to a lot of other places that I've been. It's difficult to reflect on my own family history and the history of Yugoslavia. I was always somewhat distanced from news of the war. I was born in 1990, right when the war broke out. And I think my parents kept me fairly sheltered from news of the war. And I always heard stories about my, my father's youth growing up in Belgrade, and they were always pretty joyous, vibrant stories. And they, I never heard anything growing up in my household about any ethnic difference between Serbs, Croats, Bosnians, Albanians, like my family just never really spoke about those things. So I grew up in America as a kid when the war was going on, not really having a concept of it. And then growing up in a household where things like ethnicity and religion and the breakup of Yugoslavia weren't really discussed openly for better or worse. And so I think that it wasn't really until I was an adult and in my early 20s and I went to Serbia on my own volition and decided to live there that I really started to consider those things and started to consider the history of the place as being part of my history and my family's history. I never had really notions of this side was right or this side was wrong during the war. And so it wasn't like that was blown up for me at all. From my experiences in Serbia, Croatia, Bosnia, and all around former Yugoslav countries, I come in contact, I've come in contact with a lot of people who feel very strongly about a single narrative of the war. I had a hard time reconciling all of that. So hearing from different people and different perspectives and trying to figure out what is the truth here. I think that was something that was always really difficult for me. going through this journey of figuring out sort of my own family's history and looking at how diverse we actually are. I think through that process, I just started to let go a little bit of this concept that I could somehow string together all of the stories that I'd heard and come up with one coherent narrative of here is the truth. Here is exactly what it is. Here is the right side and the wrong side and all of that. Uh, and I just had an appreciation for each individual that I met and their story and recognizing and honoring their experience and their truth and not necessarily feel like I had to compute everything into a single 
narrative that made sense. Someone once told me that the more time you spend in the Balkans, if you think you're figuring things out, you're actually getting farther away from the truth. (laughs) You know, it's like the more confusing things are, the closer you're actually getting to some kind of truth. Because it's just a place that has been under so many empires and influenced by so many different peoples and forces. And there just isn't going to be one coherent narrative of that. And so I think that looking at my own family history just made me come into a phase of acceptance, if that makes sense. And I think a place of having more peace with the unknown and the mystery. There are a lot of people who, when I was living in Serbia and Croatia and traveling to different places, I mean, most people that I met didn't feel the, any sort of ethnic hatred and actually were in a place where they they know it's better to be able to coexist peacefully and to respect and love their neighbors. And they just want to get to a place where they can have a good life and provide for their family and have a strong community. And I think... Most normal people on the ground do feel that way, but I think it's always going to be in some, to someone's advantage to bring up those ethnic tensions time and time again. So I don't think that we're going to see some big turnaround in politicians from the Balkans, that they're going to suddenly have a different message. I think it's always going to be pretty beneficial to people from all over former Yugoslav countries to, to bring up ethnic tensions and old fights for their advantage. So, and that's not to say that those things don't exist and don't impact people at a community level, but I think that people are different than their politics and their governments. I'm an insider in some ways because my father is from the region, but I'm also an outsider because I was raised in America. I think going into any place where you're not really a part of the fabric of the community and trying to tell those stories, it's hard because all the research you do in advance is going to just show you a lot about the politics of the area and that version of reality. And then when you get there and you meet people who live in these communities and you sort of see their daily life and their interactions and you hear their stories, it's going to look a lot different on the ground than it does from a political perspective. I have so many experiences of meeting kind strangers and really generous people in my travels. And I think that's one of the most amazing things about traveling is that you're constantly surprised by interactions with people that you would have never met otherwise.
2233 is produced by The Collaboratory, an initiative within the U.S. State Department's Bureau of Educational and Cultural Affairs, better known as ECA. My name's Christopher Wurst. I'm the director of The Collaboratory. 2233 is named for Title 22, Chapter 33 of the U.S. Code, the statute that created ECA. And our stories come from participants of U.S. government-funded international exchange programs. This week, Christiana Botic shared stories from her time as a Fulbright National Geographic Fellow traveling through Serbia, Croatia, and other Balkan countries. You can see her amazing images at christianabotic.com. For more about Fulbright Fellowships and other ECA exchange programs, check out eca.state.gov. We also encourage you to subscribe to 2233. You can do so wherever you find your podcast. And hey, we would appreciate it if you would leave us a nice review while you're at it. And you can write to us at ECA Collaboratory at state.gov. That's E-C-A-C-O-L-L-A-B-O-R-A-T-O-R-Y at state.gov. Photos of each week's interviewee and complete episode transcripts can be found at our webpage at eca.state.gov slash 2233. And now you can follow us on Instagram at 22.33 underscore stories. Special thanks this week to Christiana for sharing her personal stories. Ana Maria Sinatine and I did the interview and I edited it. Featured music was Alustrat, Inessential, Lumberdown, and The Coil Wines, all by Blue Dot Sessions, and the album Clean by Poddington Bear. Music at the top of each episode is Sebastian by How the Night Came, and the end credit music is Two Pianos by Tagirlius. Until next time. <laughs>